So just before we finish up today's show, I want to let you know about my next group program, my health kickstart and detox. The best way to start diving into your health, if this is what you're doing and my podcast is motivating you to get started, is to start looking at nutrition, the right way to eat for your body and understanding that, as well as digestion, because you are what you absorb and not just what you eat. And so I teach how to ensure your digestive system is even turned on so that you can benefit from the food that you're putting into your body, as well as sugar. Where is it sneaking into your diet, even when you're trying to be careful? Unfortunately, it's in everything these days, and so it does tend to sneak in. So I combine all of this learning in a group program for support for you, along with setting you up for success on your detox program providing recipes and meal plans, etc., so that you can truly enjoy the benefits of getting those toxins out. I've never had someone get to the end of my program and go, gee, I wish I didn't do that. Instead, I get to hear all of their amazing success stories like, wow, my, I have such mental clarity now. My aches and pains are gone. I'm sleeping better. My bloating and gas and indigestion is gone. So I love hearing that. It motivates me to keep sharing with others because I truly do believe when we get the toxins out, when we create a body that is inhospitable to disease and we make it a lifestyle, that we can get rid of the chronic illness that we have in our world today. So click the show notes to learn more about the program. The link is there. And if you have any questions, book a call with me so we can chat and figure out, is this the right program for you? I look forward to hearing from you. Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to another episode of the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I am excited to introduce you to my guest today, Cheryl Whiteclaw. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Hi, Melissa. It's great to be with you today. And I realized I just said Whiteclaw. Your last name is Whitelaw. So (laughs) apologies for that. (laughs) Cheryl Whitelaw is joining us today. And we're excited to have you. And Cheryl is a Move More Without Regret coach and CEO of Peace and Power Movement Services. Her clients desire to live with vitality, to grow as they age, and often are recovering from life-changing injuries, trauma, or health conditions like MS or fibromyalgia. Her kind power is supporting people to improve their balance and mobility. When their movement improves, their life gets 
bigger. And how true is that? We were just before we started recording talking about the fact that, you know, all of the neuroscience, all of the longevity science is showing that movement of the human body is so critical to our health. And yet so many people, unfortunately, are spending way too much time on the couch, whether by choice or as a result of injury and and lack of movement. And so I love that you help people regain their health so they can move. And there's always a story as to why we do what we do. So I would love for you to share what led you into this line of work. Yeah, no, thanks, Melissa. And it's, you know, movement is one of those things like it's so close to us, it's kind of hard to see clearly, right? Because, you know, we grab our bottle, we do our phone, like we move all the time and we kind of do that in a really unconscious way. And so I have to say, like I was like so many people, you know, I, I did physical fitness things when I was younger, you know, I had a desk job, um, but I really started to like crazy early, like mid thirties, I lived in a place where I had to go downstairs every morning to the kitchen and I couldn't do it. I had to go one step at a time. My ankles were so stiff and it was, you know, I didn't really know why I, you know, cause I was in all the guidelines, you know, I was generally physically fit, generally healthy. There was nothing going on, but I had this early sort of relationship with stiffness that really, you know, at the beginning, I can't say, oh, I had this revelation. And it was more like, a, well, that's weird. Like, what's what's going on there? You know, as I um, advanced in my career, and it became clear that like, you know, I was a dean for a while at a two-year college, and the kind of workload days, you know, 12-hour days were typical. Like, I actually, it was like, okay, I have to actually do something to support my movement health, because I literally am not, you know, I'm working through lunch, I'm working long days, I, I'm, I'm just not attending to it. And so managed to connect with a really great progressive Pilates instructor, who kind of helped me fill in the black box of my body. Right. And, and so it was a 10 year build, like I, in, in some sense, I'm a really slow body learner, because I didn't know what I wasn't paying attention to, right? Like, because your body's right here, you look at it in the mirror, you think, oh, I know all about it. And I didn't know what what the mystery was. I think that's the case for all of us, really. Yeah. We yeah. simply don't know what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. When I got into health coaching, I was in the same boat going, wait a minute, how am I in my 40s? And I don't know all of this about my own body. Right. So I think that's true for many of us. So I love that you're here sharing this so that listeners can hear this and have their own revelations about what's going on for them based on your story. So keep going. Yeah. No. And so it was a slow build to really become aware that I could pay attention to my body, not just when it hurt. Or when it was tired or hungry, like, you know, the sort of, I call it kind of like the toddler tantrum level of listening to your body when your body's like, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom, you know, and then you pay attention. It's like when you really start to learn to listen to your body, you open up this kind of somatic intelligence relationship that, that, uh, you know, I'm uh, so jazzed because, you know, my Pilates work was very healing, really brought me in. But then I connected to a teacher I'm 10 years later still working with today, 
who teaches Aikido and Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation. And he's really, you know, been an influencer for me about seeing how far that integration can go, right? That mind-body integration and literally how when they're when the relationship you know i guess it's like a really good deep marriage like when when you're really married to your own body in a way where there's care and love and and attention and tending there's a, a somatic intelligence that comes out to support you that that i have to say like when i started with my little stiff ankles i had no idea that there was this kind of wisdom within me because mm-hmm. I kind of treated my body like, uh, you know, an irritating toddler that yes, I had to kind of take care of it, but mostly, you know, it was kind of cranky and I, I just, I didn't know why, like, can't you just go play in the corner? Right. I'm, I'm over here doing my things. So it's why it's I think really a, is yeah. you take it for granted, right? Oh, totally. It's always there. So we do, we just take it for granted until it has to scream loud enough for us to be able to hear it. Right. And I always love to say, listen to your body when it whispers. So it doesn't have to yell at you. And if you have that relationship and that understanding of the innate wisdom that we do have within our body, because it can heal itself, that when we listen to that, we're even listening and paying attention even before it's getting to a whispering state of a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it completely changes the conversation Mm -hmm. um, and, and changes, you know, if you can hear the early whisper of an imbalance of, you know, a, a kind of level of fatigue or, you know, that there's a need for nurturing replenishment um, you know, it's a way to look at resilience that isn't kind of, there's often this kind of like far end commando, like I can get through anything and then I stop and I live to fight another day. You know, that's one expression of resilience, this kinder, softer, and in my experience, much more powerful, like quiet confidence to say, I trust in myself and my body. And that together, there's a lot of information available if I listen that helps me make really good decisions out of like a deeply grounded and a deeply centered place that, that I find is good for me, but it's often incredibly good for sort of the people around me, the environment. It's, it's like this win, win, we wisdom that comes through um, because we're doing things that support us. Um, So it's, you know, some people, when I talk about that, they go, well, that sounds really selfish. And it's like, strangely, I find that it's much more giving than, than being self-centered in that, in that quality. Absolutely. And I used to think self-care was the most selfish thing, right? That's kind of how I grew up thinking about it until again, I got to health coaching school and I had that whole paradigm flipped on its head when I was taught it's the most selfless act because it allows you to show up and give the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about here, Mm -hmm. because when you feel good in your body and you've got good mobility, you have more energy because being in pain takes energy, physical energy and mental energy, right? You can't focus if you've got this underlying pain going on, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so when you look after yourself, you are then so much better able 
to care for others and support others as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, like I'm in a period right now, um, next February will be 10 years that I've been training Aikido. So it's a Japanese mm-hmm. martial art. Yeah. And, and so as my training regime, you know, like this last several months before the test, you know, like the demand is building. And so I, I have to just make sure that my support rises yes. with me. Yes. In, you know, like I, I do train regularly, but not this intensely right. all the time, right? Like it's, you yes. know, there's an ebb and flow, but it's been a really great way to look at, okay, given the intensity of what I'm about to do, you know, like I'm going to travel next weekend to train for 12 hours, right? right? So so what does it mean to go through the intensive weekend and and know that I'm going to bring care, like self-care along yes. with that so I can actually enjoy it and not just yes. kind of suffer through and collapse at the end? <laughs> and I love that. And again, I talk the same story in a slightly different way, but I talk about stress being a legal scale, Right. And we're always going to have stress in our life and there's good stress and there's bad stress, but we want our stress to be in balance. Mm -hmm. And if we're going into a situation where we have higher stress, then in order to bring it into balance, we have to raise our self-care, right? And we can plan that if we know we have high stress times in our work life or whatever, then we need to just be planning in more self-care And then in lower stress times, maybe we don't need as much self-care, but keeping it in balance. And that's exactly what you're doing. Even the Aikido, it's fun, it's movement, it's great for your body, it's good physical exercise, but it's also very demanding, which puts stress on the body. And therefore you are looking at how can I raise my self-care in order to be able to get through that without Mm. being fully exhausted. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love that. Very, very good points to to make and good luck with your your 10 year aikido competition that's super exciting what yeah no it's a huge i mean literally you know i've done uh, several ventures in my life this is the single largest like effort towards this path so i'm 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 excited nervous you know the whole the whole right and is this your black belt it is nice that's wonderful and so you know talking about uh, aikido what has it taught you in terms of, you know, the difference between power and force? I was raised in Japan. I'm familiar with Aikido. And so I'm familiar with these terms too. Sometimes I'll use flow and force or, um, but yeah, to share about what, what that has taught you. Cause I think those are really key points as well. No. And, you know, we could talk for hours on, on this one, you know, when I think about just even, coming together with language about kind power. Um, I definitely grew up with an idea that force was sort of rough, harsh, and it meant someone win, you know, someone wins, there's power over someone and Mm -hmm. someone loses. And the Aikido experience has fundamentally taught me about an expression of power that's about power with. Right. And um, seeks to exercise power or uh, you know to use the word force because there's absolute you know like in in a physics sense there's absolutely forces happening in an aikido interaction but that you're seeking to maintain your own balance your own kind of internal i would say equipoise so it's a mental stillness an emotional openness and a kind of gut level centeredness and groundedness 
that in many ways, nothing can disturb, right? That you're, you're on this kind of practice path to cultivate this quality. And when you're in that state, there's this creative potential that just can expand and flow out of you. So as someone, you know, we practice a variety of techniques. So when someone comes with a punch or a, you know, a cut or that you can just express out um, this kind of personal power that brings the other person with you, takes care of the martial situation, right? Like neutralizes the attack, but without an aggression aftertaste. Um, you know, without any need to brutalize, you know, the other person to win, simply to enact this kind of, it's almost like you create a two person system in which there are forces coming in, and you're seeking balance um, through that, but with, you know, martial techniques that actually take care of things like punches and kicks and attacks and that sort of thing. So because many people want it to be a really peaceful art. And I would say the experience of that internal calm and peace is amazing. Um, But it is a martial art. Like we don't go and pick daisies and, you know, like we we actually attack each other with weapons and things, you know. (laughs) Right. But what I love about that is that you can do that from that place of groundedness, calm and peace. And without all of the aggression. Yeah. And then learn the skills to counter someone else's attack such that you're jockeying with each other. Yeah. Yeah. With the back and forth. And because it's not, you know, a a real situation where you're in fear of life or death, right? Mm -hmm. You can actually work together Mm -hmm. in the process of taking turns as the attacker and the counter-attacker. Yeah. But yeah. from that place of groundedness. No, and it's, and it, you know, we often talk about connection in Aikido because it's predicated on literally someone grabs me, you know, like what whatever the form is, and we make use of that connection. But what I also find the longer that I train is it's also setting up your somatic intelligence to maintain the connection to the ground. And I would say up into however you conceive of the universe Mm -hmm. and to become a connection that then can express out. And so again, it's, it can be a highly compelling form of power in terms of physically throwing someone, but it's not forceful it often feels delightful to be thrown by someone who has that quality of connection. You know, I've trained with, you know, lifetime teachers who it feels like a really big hug. Like he like, he was like, do it again, do it again. Cause (laughs) it's just so embracing, but you notice that your feet have left the ground and you're looking at the ceiling and you're, you know, like, like it's absolutely moves you, but it's a delightful feeling and so it's it's one of these um you know arts that that when I talk about kind power to say so you don't have to go train Aikido I mean it's a it's a long path you know like at 10 years I'm now ready to start studying Aikido right like this this is the learning journey um but there's lots of things you can take in terms of how you even approach trying something 
to find? Is there a more easeful way to do it? Can you find that sense of connection in yourself, that sense of balancing um, that's a dynamic thing so that you have that kind of ease to, you know, go through your shopping day with a shopping cart or even in traffic and driving, like that you can embody those qualities and it changes how you relate to what you're facing. I love that. I absolutely love that. And so in your healing journey, you did Pilates, then you've moved into Aikido and now you're also working with others and helping them to heal. And you use four verbs, thinking, feeling, sensing, moving. So talk to me more about that and how you bring those verbs into the work that you do with others that you're helping to regain their mobility and therefore vitality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say to people, I, I help you do your verbs better, what, whatever <laughs> that, you know, um, right. be. and what I do find, and, and this, this way of talking about it is embedded in a Feldenkrais method. So Moshe Feldenkrais use these verbs to um, address what wholeness meant in a very functional way. He was a funny, you know, funny about seeing everything highly functionally. What I really noticed with clients, you know, and I had a client say to the other me to the other day, you know, I really was a a walking head, right? So I'm thinking um, some feeling, you know, we're working on that kind of emotional intelligence, but the whole like my capacity to extend my awareness to sensory inputs, you know, like how lovely a piece of velvet feels or, or the sensory feeling of like a really great milkshake, you know, um, that that's kind of not on the table. Like again, other than at that kind of toddler tantrum, like I noticed something sharp or hard or a little bit of delicious, but it's a flat experience. And I don't notice moving. Like I somehow got up and got to the door and got to my car and, but there's no awareness extended to those experiences. And so, you know, and we're in a kind of environment, like the way our office lives are set up or where, you know, a computer is really designed to keep us immobile thinking, visually oriented, but all like even hearing, you know, unless we listen to music or listen to nature, like it kind of channels us into some sensory experiences and not others at all. Mm-hmm. And so the big issue with that is we do have a neuroplastic brain and how we use ourselves um, literally shapes the structure and the chemistry of the brain. So as we age, if we don't use it, it gets pruned, you know, like yep. at a shocking rate. And so my my favorite personal story of coming into a degree of wholeness, um, you know, one day, uh, you know, I work at home and I tend to have little slippers on and I thought, what, something's on my foot. Like, did I step on a sticky? Like, so (laughs) I'm looking at the bottom of my foot. So this is, you know, I admit it was a three day journey to go like, what am I feeling? And I realized I had awakened some of the pressure and mechanical receptors in my feet and my ankles and my skin. So I was actually feeling the grain on the floor. Right. Like with my hands, with my fingertip, I didn't know that had turned off, you know, because yeah, I mean, I generally feel the floor like I'm clear, but it was a degree of sensitivity that it was sort of like, 
oh, with this information, my balance can, like my sense of balance can improve in in a huge magnitude because I actually can feel in very fine degrees unevenness if I'm starting to step on something like it was, it was this funny little mundane, but huge awakening of, Oh, that's what it feels like to come back into a greater sense of just uh, personal wholeness. And so what I find with people is they often come in the door with at least two of those four going. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's moving mm-hmm. um, and thinking or so, but to help them sort of find like, how does all of that intelligence work together because I got to tell you when it all works together we function on a whole other level are you a practitioner or a coach listening to this if so I would love to ask you do you use hypnotherapy in your practice working with clients and if not would you like to the power of hypnotherapy is limitless and so often we experience our clients struggling to reach their goals, it's because they're coming up against their own brick walls and getting stuck. But you can help them through the power of hypnosis, break through all of that, working with their unconscious mind to put the suggestions in, to have them taking the action to achieve the results that they want. They are thrilled with your coaching techniques. They're getting the results they want. You feel amazing because you are helping your client get the results they want. It's a win-win. And another win is that it's an added revenue stream for you in your business. So if you like the feel of helping your clients get the results they want, if you like the sound of that, then definitely reach out, Melissa, at yourguidedhealthjourney.com or click the link tree link below for my Unlimited Power of Hypnosis class to learn more. It's a weekend designation program that I teach valid in 42 countries. You write an exam after taking the experiential course and you can be admitted to the American Board of Hypnotherapy and start using hypnotherapy one-to-one with your clients and have them achieving the results they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thinking is very connected to the conscious mind, whereas the feeling and the sensing is much more connected to the unconscious mind, Mm -hmm. which we aren't taught about. And so, you know, I work with that in many of the techniques that I use and realize and know that it's 90% of our mind. And yet, because we're not taught it through the school system and through society, we're not tapping into the power of the unconscious mind as much. And on top of that, we have society very often telling us to squash our emotions down. Don't show them, don't feel them. And we end up burying them, sometimes in food that makes us feel better momentarily. And they, over the course of a lifetime, become toxic too. Mm -hmm. And so I love this work that you're doing is just, as you say, introducing all four of these verbs to allow people to live more fully and get more in touch with their entire being as you work with them at a, at a holistic level. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, started calling it a few years ago, perceptual hygiene Mm -hmm. um, because we filter out what's not important. Yes. And when we say we lean into thinking and uh, feeling as sort of the primary 
So we have more neural connections happening in service of those functions. And, and we do start to lose some of the movement capacities, not in a, some kind of ultimate way, but those connections, you know, we have a part of our brain that every night like is going through and cleaning up what wasn't really strengthened. And right. so, so it absolutely, you know, that, that perception creates reality that the longer we go in the kind of way we've blinkered ourselves, we become that person. So I become a thinker feeler, not a mover sensor. And, right. and so we build a story about who we are and our sense of self so that our conscious mind is literally with our unconscious mind. Both of them have kind of paired up to say, so we're this person and we don't do this. Um, and so it, it's a story. It's constructed. It could be changed. But we kind of start to see this is just how it is. This is who I am. So when problems come up, like, as you say, toxicity, um, problems with, you know, a knee joint that gets overused or inflamed and we're not aware of it, then we put all the blame on the thing rather than looking at this imbalance, you know, between these four verbs. Um, and so it's amazing, you know, when I work with people to shift that balance you know, they'll come in and at someone this week, you know, cry, like my sciatica has aired up again. I'm going on a long plane trip. I'm really nervous about it. And so we did a balancing thing that, in fact, we did nothing specific with that part of the body. Right. And she was able to, at the end, go, oh, like I'm not, it's really drop down and I and I have tools now to go on this nine hour plane fright or whatever and and work with myself so that I can keep enough balance to not be in pain and sit in a kind of misery way you know on a long flight and I think that's so often the case when our body is talking to us in that when the place where we feel the pain isn't the root cause we have to look deeper to what's going on that has triggered that it's never as simple as my knee hurts so i'll fix my knee there's always deeper layers that we have to be addressing we might be able to temporarily do something to support the knee Mm -hmm. but if we don't address the deeper layers then that knee pain keeps coming back again and again because the body's saying you haven't addressed it where i wanted you to address it yeah Yeah, that's right. And so you're almost like the interpreter of the body for people helping them to Mm -hmm. understand what the body truly needs. Yeah, well, and and I would sort of say like interpreter and I would say I tend to get people involved in a kind of co-discovery expedition Mm -hmm. so that because I don't, I'm not coming from a place where I diagnose people or kind of say, here's what's wrong. But when they present sort of a snapshot of their functional movement day and what they see going on, I certainly listen and and attend to what they're telling me because there's lots of clues in that. But I also kind of say, so given what I see, given what I'm hearing, if they're in doing, you know, I work online and in person. So if we're doing Mm -hmm. touch, I also take those inputs to say, so what if it's something like um, an imbalance in terms of how this person's using their spine in certain movements? And if that's the hypothesis, let how could we explore that 
to see what the impact is. And so uh, depending on the client, you know, the way that happens can vary. Um, but I'm always looking for how can I bring them with me in that exploration so that we learn right. together because I can't possibly know the million and millions of things that have conditioned them to show up in the way they're showing up with me today. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, they're right, they're right there in their body, but we don't, we don't know, right? Like right. There, there is a kind of black box mystery. And so it's like, let's go, go on that mystery together and yeah. see, given what we know, what we can find out that will make a difference. It's it's always coming back to improving their function, improving one of those verbs, improving the balance of them so that they feel better. It's easier, less pain. You know, it, it gives them the kind of body that they actually want to move in. It's beautiful. And so you're really you're guiding them because they know their body best, but they don't know how necessarily what's going on so you can guide them to discover that yeah which yeah. is wonderful and then get people moving again which as we've said is so critical yeah you know yeah. sitting is the new smoking as we've said in terms oh. of you know we know what smoking does to our health and the mortality rate from smoking etc cetera, etc cetera. and now we're moving into that sitting is doing the same thing it is hmm. causing us to have a shorter life unfortunately. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. They've sort of flipped. I mean, for years, the research was focused on the number of minutes of activity. And when they flipped the research question to look at the number of minutes of sedentary behavior, the results like became radically worse for yes. that, that outcome, which, which was fascinating that the, you know, the, the assumption that if I do 30 minutes a day, I'm good. Um, not if the rest of the day is entirely sedentary. It's just not enough movement. Right. Yeah. Our bodies are designed to move throughout the day. And if mm -hmm. we go back to our hunter-gather days, yeah. they were always moving in search of food, et cetera, right? And now these sitting in offices, staring at screens, sitting in a chair all day mm -hmm. is causing real problems and literally shortening our lives. And so where can people build in movement? It's such a key piece to lengthening our lives. And then for those that have injury, that it's hard to move. I love the work that you're doing to help them recover so that they can get back to a place where mo movement becomes easy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so how can you learn to care for yourself through movement that we're talking about here? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. And, and people always kind of assume like self-care is the thing you do before and afterwards, you know, right. like you might drink a, a nutrient, you know, electrolyte drink or, you know, then you have a bubble bath or, a, you know, something afterwards. Um, you know, the the way that I really like to um, work with people about, you know, balancing these four verbs is to really support them to actually bring their awareness into what they're doing. And, you know, I would say Moshe Feldenkrais is, you know, one of his most famous lines is, you can do what you want when you know what you're doing. Um, right. And so to, you know, often I'm either teaching in a group class or one-on-one, -on -one, you know, having them do movement explorations that are not familiar, 
that are unusual combinations. So a basic example, you know, if you cross your fingers, we tend to have a way we do it. And so if we switch, that often feels odd. Like, it, like, like, oh, it's, you know, this is automatic. This is like, okay, I just did it, but this one goes under. That novelty is interesting to the brain and the nervous mm-hmm. system. So keeping them on an edge of a kind of novelty exploration that includes some degree of challenge so that it sets up the conditions, they have to learn something, right? right. Yeah, so, I have that in my yoga classes that I do. Yeah. You know, they'll say cross your legs one way and then they make sure you do it the other way as well because otherwise yeah. we are, we're creatures of habits and we'll just yeah. always cross our legs the same way, yeah. you know, or sitting in the lotus position, one leg goes on top of the other. You do it the same way every time until someone tells you do it the other way. Yeah, yeah, because if you take like neuroplastic, uh, you know, neuroplasty is real. If you're only doing it this way, you're literally building the ner- the nervous system, the motor neuron pathway. This is possible. And this is weird and awkward, right? right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, leading them through that, but always building their sense of their awareness to notice relationships, to notice a, a rich range of sensory input. So it could be temperature, length dimension, pressure, um, you know, the quality of movement, the timing, the pacing, like giving them a whole bunch of rich inputs so that they're richly experiencing their own movement, all designed to literally wake up, you know, so if the connections are there, they're strengthened. If they're not there, they can be created and nurtured so that they literally are building their their, uh, mind-body intelligence structurally in the brain, chemically first and then structurally, so that they literally have more to pay attention to it. Um, The other thing that I really like to do with people is use language, images, um, analogies that give them an easy, a a relatable, easy access to a quality. So, um, you know, did a series a while ago about stiff necks, like people hold a lot of tension. It can be related to mental habits, emotional habits, breathing habits, um, how we use our phone, like there's many right. things. And so I I sort of, you know, gave an image once uh, that I had a client just come back to me say, you know, imagine you have a long black cat that's just purring <laughs> and draped over your neck, right? Yeah. Um, and just to have a, a sort of, it's an, it's imaginative. Maybe they've mm-hmm. had that experience. Maybe they haven't. But just imagining it changes how much tension people hold there. Right. And it's one of the kind of you know one of the places where incredibly powerful is that just just using our attention or awareness that way changes the tissues of our body. Like so, building like practicing that builds their capacity to go. Oh, I've gone back into that you know, like 3 p.m., I'm tighter, and I can reverse that, right? I can send my tension out because I have that kind of relationship with my body. That somatic intelligence allows me to just imagine it, and I and it makes the change. And so with that kind of practice and the elaborative, you know, repetition, um, it's not a rote thing. It's like, oh, I notice it here. I notice it there. I can be creative with it. We literally create ourselves in that way. So mm-hmm. it's it's this amazing kind of personal power that it's it's right there. 
and we we don't often use it. I love that. And in my work, I will often say that the body is a robot of the mind. Yeah. In that whatever we are envisioning, imagining, the body will respond to biochemically, physiologically, et cetera, which is why if you can imagine that beautiful, long, sleek black cat purring on your neck, keeping it nice and warm, that that just allows your shoulders to drop, you know, your breathing to calm, et cetera, et cetera. And in that process, you're able to release the pain. So beautiful. I love all of this work that you do, we could talk forever. And, uh, but I want to honor your time. And so as we wrap up this episode, tell me what does don't wait for your wake up call mean to you? Yeah, it's, you know, for me, I, I really, it, it just um, kind of breaks my heart to see people that I've cared about, friends, family, colleagues, that just don't move. And so, you know, I'm 55 today. And when I see them, I see their aging process ramping up, right? Just purely from the lack of they, you know, they don't have to be athletes, they don't have to run a marathon, but just being active in some kind of meaningful way every day. And I'm watching them change, like I'm watching them become old, um, at an age where, you know, I'm stronger, more flexible, like, you know, and it's not not about comparing, but like at 30 and my stiff ankled self, I could have never imagined right having the movement life. So I, I just really, um, you know, that wake up call is when you wait till you really do have arthritis or you wait till, you know, there really are a requirement to replace a hip or, you know, like the big wake up calls like that. There's so much that could be changed on that path for the better. Um, and the impacts of aging could be so much less. Um, and so I, that, that's, that's what for me, like this, this wake up call is like, don't wait for the, the diagnosis, the, you know, the extreme, like the, the, the toddler who's had a tantrum and now is getting out a gun or something to, you know, like, like to really get serious about it. Like, don't wait for that kind of, you know, self-violence to happen. Like we, we can find a gentler, kinder path much early. And when we wait, it takes so much longer to heal from then we'll work on the kinder, gentler path along the way. And I'm the same as you. I'm 55. And because of all of the training I've done in the last eight years, since I got out of the corporate world and all the lifestyle changes I've made, I have more energy, feel better in my body, move more than I ever did before. And I feel younger than I did, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And society teaches us that as we age, we are supposed to feel worse, right? And people will often ignore symptoms and just say, oh, it's aging or it sucks to get old, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's not actually how the body's designed. Our body can go a lot longer than we think. You know, the average lifespan is 79 years in North America, I believe. And I think that's for men and women are a little bit longer. We can actually live a whole lot longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember what it was, but I heard something recently that mammals lifespan, there was a, 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 a factor or an equation for calculating the lifespan of a mammal. And if you use that factor and applied it to humans, it should be 125. Right. 
Yeah. But we're not living there because of the lifestyle factors that are impeding us. And we're not honoring our body and being proactive in our choices in regards to our movement and our health, et cetera. But when we start to do that, we can live a lot longer. And when we stop ignoring the symptoms and getting curious what's going on and how can I resolve this and who can I get to help me, we can have good mobility and live a long life of vitality. So I love the work that you do because you're helping people do that as more and more people realize life is short and I want more life. Yeah. And I want it to be good. I want to feel comfortable. I want to be able to move my body. So it's wonderful. So if people want to work with you, how can they get hold of you? Yeah. So you can check out my website. It's uh, peaceandpower.ca. I'm up in Canada. So I have a CA designation. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. So if you search Peace and Power Movement Services, tons of free videos with kind of micro movement explorations to, so, you know, improve various things. You can just search, you know, how do I help my low back, right? And And you'll get videos that come up with that. Yeah. Beautiful. And so I have that in the show notes for listeners. And you are also very generously offering a free gift, Embrace Aging Manifesto. So let the audience know about that. Yeah. So it's it's a really easy to, to read guide. Um, I'm a bit of a, a neuroscience geek, you know, and so love delving into that. But I also like kind of translating out that in, you know, here's the practical thing. So it's five choices that the latest, you know, like in the last two years, research is showing if you do these things, you're choosing to age wisely with vitality. And they're they're pretty simple. So um, like the simple solution sort of belies some of the science behind it. But it really, you know, it's the kind of differences that will make a difference for your life. Beautiful. Thank you very much for offering that. And I will definitely be checking it out. And is there any last message you would like to leave with the audience today? Well, I, you know, like I really resonated, um, you know, with your sort of message about, you know, guided health journey um, to, to really like position health as a, a wellness verb, right? Like we, we have so much language that's related to illness and being sick and recovery. We don't have, you know, kind of like peace. We don't have a lot of verbiage that tells us what to do to be whole, to be well, uh, to live in a peaceful sort of way. So, you know, think about what you're investing in that part of your health journey, not just the fix it, you know, it's like, if we have a house, the furnace goes, we got to fix it. Like what makes it beautiful? What makes it worth living? And have have that as a focus of investment as well. That's beautiful and great advice. And thank you so much, Cheryl, for coming today and sharing your wisdom. And I want to thank my audience for tuning in every week. And I hope you found today's podcast inspiring and maybe a few ahas that might have you start thinking differently. And if you know someone else that needs to hear this episode, please share it with them. Thank you as always. Thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If you can take two minutes to share this episode with someone you think can benefit and have a positive impact on their life, that would be wonderful. Please leave a review by going to your favorite podcast listening app and let me know what you enjoy or would like to hear more of. 
It will support me in my effort to bring the possibility of natural healing to a wider audience and help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.